I do have to say, I'm kind of out on cards that are named like Ian Chesterton and Jared Sinclair and, you know, normal human names. Yeah. The Jared one's good, though. Well, it's, yeah, it's Ryan Sinclair. Jared Sinclair is our yes. mock stopper friend. But I just wanted to say that anyway. Yes. Like, let me look. Donna Noble, Susan Foreman. Like, Susan is my mom's name. Do we really need a magic card named Susan? Right. <laughs> I hate that a lot. Barbara Bright. Welcome to episode number 92 of The Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how are you doing? I am doing well. I'm in a bit of a pickle. I think I promised some guy a little while ago that they would cut my head off if I got to cut their head off, and uh, I like my head, so I'm worried. I'm a little worried. First of all, uh, the phrase in a pickle has always been confusing to me. I would love to be in a pickle. I would just eat my way out delicious vinegary pickles. Secondly, uh, you sorry, you you did what? This sounds like some kind of like Rumpelstiltskin situation gone wrong. I don't know if you know this, but uh, you need your head. It's not just that you like it. You need it. It is actually a critical part. I think I, I didn't read the contract. That's that's on me. Should have had a lawyer. Didn't have a lawyer. Just just signed it. So. I'm right here. I'm right. If you have a contract, send it to me. I just read contracts for people all the time. Oh my God. All right. I guess this maybe ties into our topic. I don't know. So we, we've taken a little summer vacation uh, for chaos and travel and everything, but we're coming back to return to Wizards Return to Eldraine in the set Wilds of Eldraine. We're going to do our facts show for the Wilds of Eldraine set. Can we, Christian, overcome the memories of a shirtless Oko terrorizing our dreams? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have, where is Oko? We better see Oko again soon. Will we go on cool adventures in Eldraine? Yes. Okay. Which one of us will be knighted at the end of this process? Your daughter. Wow. That's probably true. I'm going to get turned into a candy monster. Uh, so before we get into the specifics of Eldraine, like we always do, let's crack open the memory jar. All right, this week our card is Limited Resources. No particular relation to the podcast that I know of. This is originally a rare from Exodus. It is white for an enchantment. It says when limited resources enters the battlefield, each player chooses five lands they control and sacrifices the rest. Players can't play lands as long as ten or more lands are on the battlefield. Uh, rude. This is rude. Rude. Very rude. I uh, I will distinctly remember being in the back uh, room of an LGS back in 1998 or 99 and getting absolutely hosed in a two-headed giant game by this card. And uh, it's one of the few cards where people will be like, why is this banned in EDH? And I say, you're an idiot. It Just read the card multiple times. It is stupid. Yeah, smart card to have banned in EDH, especially in a game with so many players. Like, you know, it, if you ramp, let's say you, you know, play your fourth land, everybody else has played two, and then you just play this, and it's like, well, that's ten lands of play, nobody else gets to play lands for the rest nope. of the game. Nope, uh, nope. Yeah, it sounds terrible. As I mentioned, it's also the name of the uh, long-running magic podcast 
hosted currently by uh, Marshall Sutcliffe and Luis Scott Vargas. I guess Marshall has always been one of the co-hosts, but LSV took over in, I, I looked this up, January 2015. So oh, wow. more than eight years ago, which means he's been the co-host for the vast majority of episodes. I think I started when it was either John Lokes or Brian Wong. Seemed like a million years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I thought LSV being the co-host was just a very, like, recent thing. But it's not 2018 anymore. It's 2023. <sighs> yeah, that, that you said that with the right amount of resigned sigh involved. I'm, I'm doing it too. It's just weird. Time keeps on passing. That's just what it does. All right. Well, that card's never going to see a reprint. It's just going to sit there and be banned in Commander. There's no real reason anybody should want to play this. It's so funny. Um, Normally, cards with no reprints get expensive. But because it's banned in Commander, it's like a dollar. Oh, yeah. And it's also, it's not even good in like 1v1. Your best case Everybody gets five lands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's fine. That's as bad as many lands as you need in a right. normal game of high-powered magic, right? So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, on to our show. Let's talk about the wilds of Eldraine. Uh, we're back. We're back in Eldraine. Throne of Eldraine came out a few years ago, and we are officially here again. Christian, did you have fun last time? No. <laughs> no, you didn't like Eldraine. <laughs> I like the first Eldraine a lot because of the rewards for being monocolored. I thought that those were interesting thematically. They don't do that here. Are you uh, are you trying to have fun this time around, or have you not spent a lot of time with the set? Uh, yeah, I've played actually a bit of standard in a while. It it's it's a lot better than it was previously. I guess like my distinct memories of that autumn are us playing mystery boosties in Richmond mm. and just not wanting to play games of Magic in any other format. Like, okay, it was just so out of this world crazy that like, that's all I remember. I do remember the draft format was fun, but like I didn't draft it a lot because I was busy with work and was focused on other things that and how it felt. It felt like the set was in standard and affecting things a lot longer than it actually was. Probably true. Yeah, we spent that whole uh, Grand Prix just spamming mystery booster drafts as much as possible while the pro tour was on in the room next door. And uh, it was Oko winter at that pro tour. So do you remember if someone came up to us the Friday before, cause they had a, they were doing a grand prix that same weekend. Mm-hmm. Yep. And someone came up to us and they said, wow, there's they currently, they only have like 200 people ended up being like a 300 person registered GP this sounds like it's high EV you should join. And then it was like, wait, it's, it's, it's standard. No, no, I'm just, we're just going to have a lot more fun playing mystery boosties the entire weekend. Yeah. And we were correct. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That was the, oh, the yeah, origin absolutely. of the mystery boosties when we sat down and open packs and had no idea what would be in them. Yep. Best decision at a magic tournament I've ever made. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about Eldraine? Yeah. So it's uh, kind of, mythology fairy tale focus set it's sort of like lorwin with the edges sanded off it's got knights it's got courts it's got fairy tales fairies and other classic tropes reflected in arthurian legends and old english folklore uh we went over the facts of the original drain set back in episode 47 and it's been 50 episodes and we get to later and we get to do it again more importantly though is this our first return to a plane for a fact show yeah i think this is our first return to a plane for a fact show 
Throne of Eldraine was the first one we ever did. So I don't think we've been to a plane and then back to a plane in different blocks since uh, since that happened. Nice. Well, so gameplay-wise, this is a lot better. Ga- I mean, we're recording this a lot later than we normally would in a set release. It feels like this they fixed a lot of the problems that were in Throne of Train gameplay-wise, right? Safe to say? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it would be hard not to have fixed... Uh, the super, super powered Throne of Eldraine. They've still made some, you know, maybe errors in judgment. I'm thinking of you pitch elementals from Modern Horizons 2, but the standard sets have not reached quite so far back uh, into magic history. And maybe, I mean, Lord of the Rings was not a standard set, but there were a couple issues there that are, are ongoing. Cards they've already altered on Arena. Very awkward. But yeah, they they learned their lessons, I think. There's nothing as broken as Oko. The adventures are pretty fine-tuned. Like They realize that having two spells on one card is probably really good. And so you shouldn't make those you know, be able to curve into each other. But yeah, it, it, it feels a lot better. Like As I said, I actually enjoy playing some standard. That's the first time in a long time. Although they also did change standard, so... Who knows? Who knows? Well, let's talk about some throwbacks. Uh, let's talk about signature reprints in the set. There are nine reprints in the set that aren't basic lands, and we will note a couple of them here. The first one worth mentioning, I think, is Commune with Nature. This is a green mana for a sorcery. You look at the top five cards of your library and can reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Then you put the rest on the bottom in any order. So this card is originally from Champions of Kamigawa, and it just does what it says. It finds creatures in the top five cards of your deck. So it's kind of like cycle for a creature. Hopefully there's one there. Yeah. It's been used in eternal formats when you need to like find combo creatures. Yeah. I briefly used this in modern and abs encounters. Then I ditched it for its functional reprint incubation incongruity from Ravnica Allegiance. The incubation half being this same card, except for a blue green hybrid, you know, just so I could have the other half if I wanted it. Now they're both out of that deck, but you know, that deck's not good anymore. So yeah, this is a funny little throwback to the first Eldraine set, Throne of Eldraine, because Wizards arguably printed the much more powerful and much more broken version called Once Upon a Time. The reason it's more powerful and more broken, you can cast it for free if it's the very first spell you cast in a game, and you got to look and find a creature or a land, not just a creature. So uh, yeah, it turns out when you can find a creature or a land, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah, Once Upon a Time was uh, was quite a card. I, I, before we go on this, too, I love that the uh, artist Jody Muir did a throwback to Edward P. Beard Jr.'s art for Champions of Kamigawa in that both Agatha and the character being represented in Community with Nature both have, like, weird white eyeballs. I thought that was a nice little throwback there. Yeah, that's horrifying. Thanks for pointing that yeah. out. I hate it. You're welcome. Next, we got Sleight of Hand. One blue for a sorcery. Look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the other on the bottom of your library. This is a kind of nice little reprint. We haven't seen this in literal ages in standard. The ninth edition was the last place it was printed. And it was first printed in Portal Second Age. It's a, it's a nice little cantrip. Yeah, it's never the best cantrip that's available. I mean, I don't think people are generally playing this over consider, which is a single blue for an instant where you surveil one and then draw a card that's just going to be better than this in basically every way but if you need something in addition to that it's a pretty nice addition you get a little card selection there 
um, you know, a little more information than just scrying one and drawing a card with something like Opt. So this has definitely found its way into the Arclight Phoenix decks in Pioneer in uh, pretty significant numbers. Oh, yeah. So which version is the best art? I really like the ninth edition art. I think it's just kind of cool. It's it's old school. Although the Portal Second Age art, I'm not a Foglio person, but this person is just like reaching back and stealing a scroll. And the reason I liked this when it first came out is because it looks kind of like they're stealing a hand that has like a bone sticking out of it. And I thought it was a hand pun. So <laughs> even though it's not that joke, that one still does it for me as well. I actually really like the seventh edition one. Christopher Muller's art there is actually really cool. Um, and that's it. Next is soul guide lantern. This was originally printed in Theros beyond death. It's, a single generic mana for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you can exile a target card from a graveyard. You can tap it and sacrifice it to exile each opponent's graveyard or one tap and sacrifice it to draw a card. So this is a pretty premier graveyard removal artifact. It's since been reprinted in a couple places, including on the retro artifact sheet in the Brothers War. And for my money, the retro artifact sheet blueprint version is the best art, uh, in part because it's like, a blueprint of exactly the original art from Theros Beyond Death. It is really nice. I do like the original a lot, um, but I think they haven't gone wrong really with art. Pick your poison. They all do the same thing. We have two reprints from Throne of Eldraine we have to highlight because they are cracked. First, we have Ginger Brute. Ginger Brute is one generic for a 1-1 artifact creature food golem. That's right, a food golem. It has haste. You can pay one, and Ginger Brute can't be blocked this turn except by creatures with haste. And you can pay two, tap, sacrifice Ginger Brute. You gain three life. This was already fantastic in the previous Throne of Eldraine, and it's also the Gingerbread Man. So um, what's not to like about it? It's a Gingerbread Man running away. The whole Gingerbread Man, you know, only creatures with haste can block it because you can't catch him as fast as you can is just very funny. The fact that it's a food golem is funny. And they've been doing this more and more where they'll have a card that is a treasure or a food or a clue in addition to other types, which I think is great design space. I'm glad to see this back. Yeah. Yeah. It's great in this set with the roles, specifically the young hero role. And we'll talk about the roles a little bit. Um, but the enchantment that whenever the creature attacks, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Cause you can, if it's toughness is three or less, cause you can get this up to a four, four, that's basically unblockable, and that is pretty nice. The other yeah. relevant reprint from Throne of Eldraine is Glass Casket. That's one and a white for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value three or less until it leaves the battlefield. Just a cute little staple removal spell last time around. An, a nice reprint. Kind of funny to have it in this set since this set is so much more enchantment-focused, and it's an artifact. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about reprints from sets of the same plane? I really like that. I think it's always interesting when they can find a way to do something from a different plane. But, you know, if we're returning to Ravnica and you give me something from the original Ravnica block that we haven't seen reprinted there or that we have seen reprinted there, you know, in the previous returns to Ravnica, I, I really like that. I think it's a cool way to carry some of the themes forward without being really overt about it. Yeah, same here. Uh, it, it's always good because they're starting to really put like two or three cards in every set that when they've revisited a plane, they, they like to throw back. And I'll be interested to see which ones they, they tie in from Ixalan, the upcoming return set in. We're not going to talk about when that's coming out because it's too soon. So 
It's it's very soon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, before we get there, let's talk about the forced obsolescence in this set. We talk about this in every fact show. This is not about which cards are strictly better. It's about new cards making older cards completely obsolete. That means completely replaced. It has to be the same color, same cost or cheaper, and have the same or a better effect. And we're only talking about cards that newly make a card obsolete. Like, Windrake is obsolete already. They print a better Windrake in every set, so we don't need to mention it when they do set, do that. Yeah, and there's also maybe some corner cases relating to creature type or turning presumably negative effects, like losing life into a positive, but those are really the tiniest corner cases. We're not here for that. We need straight up obsolescence. Why don't you start us off this time? And yeah. uh, let's see what we no longer need to worry about. This is actually pretty wild. So Bitter Chill, Obsoleted, Bewitching Leechcraft, and really just a lot of like blue limited tap tricks which is wild so bitter chill is one in a blue for a aura that enchants a creature when bitter chill enters the battlefield tap enchanted creature enchanted creature doesn't untap during the controller's untap step and when bitter chill is put into a graveyard from the battlefield you may pay one if you do scry one then draw a card the first we're just going to talk about bewitching leechcraft because this card most recently came out it is one in blue for enchant creature aura enters battlefield and taps the enchanted creature and it has ability where you can unlock the creature if they have a plus one plus one counter from it and you can remove a counter to untap it but otherwise it's basically the same thing all of these previous ones had either conditions when it came to how the how the creature got tapped if the enchantment would survive if the creature had a certain color if you had to have a certain you know etc tied to it this is the first that not only is it unconditional, but it also doesn't affect if it were to go to the graveyard. Yeah, really cool upgrade. We used to get these at three mana with no downside and two mana with horrible downside, and now here we are. The next one is Cooped Up, which obsoletes Dreadful Apathy. Cooped Up is one and a white for an enchantment aura. It enchants a creature, and the enchanted creature can't attack or block. You can also pay two and a white to exile the creature. Dreadful Apathy was the same card, except it costs two and a white to cast instead of one and a white. And that's just from Theros Beyond Death, so this is a new one. Yep. Flick a coin, obsolete zap, which also obsoleted flare. So flick a coin is two and a red for an instant. It deals one damage to any target. You create a treasure token, and you draw a card. So it's like pseudo ramp for two and a red. Zap did all that except make a treasure. And Flare was Zap, except you had a delayed cantrip. It's interesting how it took 23 years, but we finally have an upgrade to our friend Zap. All right, next is Frolicking Familiar, which obsoletes Avon Wind Mage. Frolicking Familiar is two and a blue for a 2-2 Otter Wizard with flying. It says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. It also has an adventure Blow Off Steam, which is an instant for a single red that deals one damage to any target. Avon Wind Mage is just two and a blue for a 2-2 with that pseudo-prowess. Uh, but the adventure means you don't have to play anymore. Frolicking Familiar is just a better card. Yep. Yes, a lot of... Uh, this could probably affect a lot of cards that have adventures on them, but this was... We, we're going to only talk about a few that are most notable. Yeah, it turns out that most of the cards with adventures, the previous card had already been made obsolete because a lot of the those creatures are vanilla or not particularly interesting. This one, uh, I think, was a little more interesting. And actually, we might have to go back and take a look because Frolicking Familiar could be a top 10 wind drink. It probably is. Next, we have another adventure on a creature. Kellen the Fae-Blooded's Adventure, Birthright 
Boon obsoletes open the armory. We think this counts. We're just going to go with it. Tell us if we're wrong. So we'll just read the adventure part of this because Caelan the Fey-Blooded is a creature that does stuff with Orn equipment. So obviously it's an upgrade, but Birthright Boon is one in a white for a sorcery adventure. Search your library for an aura or equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Open the armory is the exact same card, except, hey, guess what? It's not attached to a 2-2 double striker. So eat it. Open the armory. Eat it. Yeah, if you're playing a deck like Hammer Time that plays Colossus Hammer and thus plays Open the Armory, maybe you're playing a mono-white version. I don't see why you wouldn't put in a couple duels just to be able to cast the red half of this if you wanted to. I guess the the only difference here is if you have things that care about instants or sorceries, this doesn't count as an instant or sorcery in your library or graveyard, but I don't think that's significant. I think it's just like much more important to have this 2-2 double striker that cares about equipment. I think the only thing that matters is Kellen is limited to red-white based commanders, but sure, most of them do equipment anyway, and there's very few that are not red-white that also don't do equipment, so... You know, if someone didn't own Open the Armory and they wanted to put Kellen in their mono-white equipment commander deck and only cast Birthright Boon, I would allow it. All right, next is similar Questing Druid, Obsolete's Quirion Dryad. So Questing Druid is one and a green for a 1-1 human druid. It says whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. That is the same text as Quirion Dryad. It's basically the same card, but Questing Druid has an adventure. Seek the Beast, one and a red for an instant Exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step, you may play those cards. So I've always liked Quirion Dryad. I thought it was never quite good enough in cubes when I would try to draft it and make it happen. But adding this other little wrinkle to the Questing Druid makes it kind of sweet. It is. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have a format that also has Gush, but we'll make do. We'll figure it out. Ooh, yeah. Rankle's Prank obsoletes Barter and Blood. So Rankle's Prank is two black black for a sorcery. Choose one or more. Each player discards two cards. Each player loses four life. And or each player sacrifices two creatures. This obsoletes Barter and Blood, which just makes you sacrifice two creatures. So yeah, you can do a little bit more if you really hate your opponents. And yourself, I guess, but mainly <laughs> your opponents. Yeah, or maybe you don't want to have each player sacrifice two creatures. And so you just want to have everybody lose four life. Seems fun. Next is kind of a weird one. Song of Totentons, Obsolete's Burst of Speed. So Song of Totentons is red X for a sorcery. You create X11 black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Burst of Speed is just a single red for a sorcery that gives your creatures haste until end of turn. So this is a burst of speed with like additional text that says pay X generic mana to make X hasty one ones. Yeah, I mean... It's basically fireball with rats. Rat ball. Not well. <laughs> rat ball. Fire rat. Rat ball. Yeah. Uh, I love cards like this where, you know, I do the research for this and look back and say, burst of speed. Wait, is was burst of speed not obsolete? Is there not something else that does this? And no, no, there's just not. It's, that's back from M10. That was the only time this effect has ever been on a single red mana sorcery. Because this is actually, I remember this too. This is wild. This is a little bit of a digression slash tangent. So. Uh, this refers to Totentaz is a made up version of a real Pied Piper that mm-hmm. actually would would lure rats away with a magic pipe. So 
this is not made up. This is actually referencing a real thing. And um, uh, I would implore listeners to go read up on the fairy tale slash mythology because it was, uh, it's probably terror. It will, it is terrifying if I remember correctly. It is ter- more terrifying than you think. So, all right. I, I know very little about the Pied Piper, but I'll have to, uh, to figure that yeah. one out. Yeah. Next, we got Stingblade Assassin. It obsoletes Manticore. So Stingblade Assassin is three and a black for a 3-1 fairy assassin. It has flash and flying. When it enters the battlefield, destroy target creature and opponent controls that was dealt damage this turn. It obsoletes Manticore because Manticore is the same thing, except it's a stupid 2-1 with flying. And, you know, it's two is a lower number than three. And that's why it got obsolete. Yeah, not so bad. Next, Toadstool Admirer obsoletes Jungle Delver. Toadstool Admirer is a single green for a 1-1 oof. It has Ward 2, and you can pay 3 and a green to put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on it. Jungle Delver from Ixalan is a 1-1 Merfolk Warrior, and you can pay 3 and a green to put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on it. But hey, Ward 2. That's better. It is a higher number than 0. So yes, it is better. That's right. Yes. Lastly, we have Water Wings. It obsoletes Dance of the Skywise. So Water Wings is one in a blue for an instant. Until end of turn, target creature you control has base power and toughness 4-4 and gains flying and hexproof. Dance of the Skywise is the same thing, except it just turns into a 4-4 dragon with flying. There's no hexproof. So you can still no. get killed and blown out by this. If after Well, and Dance of the Skywise makes your, your new dragon lose all of its other abilities. Yes, that too. Which is, is just cool. much worse. Much worse. We're going to do something here that we've never done, and we're going to kind of have some honorable mentions. These cards that aren't exactly obsoleting something, but they're definitely worth mentioning. Okay, so first is Monstrous Rage, and I'm just going to read this card before I talk about the other ones. So this is a single red for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn, and create a monster roll token attached to it. So a monster roll token is an enchantment, it's an aura. It goes on the creature. The creature gets plus one, plus one, and tramples. So the end result is instant speed. It's getting plus three, plus one, and trample, but one, one, and trample are sticking around. So this basically obsoletes brute strength, which is one in a red instant. Target creature gets plus three, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. Although when we talked about this, I realized this was probably already obsolete due to stolen vitality, which is the same thing, except if it's your turn, it gets trample. If it's your opponent's turn, it gets first strike. And we didn't mention when Stolen Vitality came out that it obsoleted Brute Strength. That was just a, a miss on our part. Miss. Um, regardless, Monstrous Rage costs one mana. And so I think you're just always playing it over these other cards. Oh, yeah. If you have the opportunity. Yeah. And it also keeps plus one, plus one. Yeah. Afterwards, right? Like that's, that's like, so if giving a creature a plus one, plus one counter and a trample counter and plus two plus zero until the turn. That's really good for one mana too. Busted. I'm in. So next we have not dead after all kind of obsoletes fame, death and undying malice. Uh, these have gotten popular thanks to uh, they're the same color as a black pitch elemental from modern horizon two called grief, which lets you cheat with grief. Anyway, that's beyond the capabilities of this podcast to talk about. Not dead after all is one black for an instant until end of turn target creature you control gains when this creature dies, return it to the battlefield, tapped under its owner's control, and then create a wicked roll token attached to it. The wicked roll is the enchanted creature gets plus, plus, plus one plus one. When this aura is put into a graveyard, each opponent loses one life. 
Fame Death is the same thing, except it returns to the creature, returns to the battlefield with plus one, plus one counter on it. And Undying Malice is, again, the same thing, except it gives this creature a plus one, plus one counter. So it's basically the same thing. There's like some corner cases where like the plus one, plus one counter means you can't like do something with Undying Shenanigans. Yeah. Or like you're trying to do some shenanigans with minus one, minus one counters. And so you have to do two instead of one before you can like do more shenanigans. They're practically the same. They're, they're, they're all practically the same card when it comes. Yeah. To I mean, I think card. this is just this is a better card, certainly, because that one damage when it dies is relevant over the course of a game, potentially. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the uh, I'm going to say the, the word that Wizards doesn't like people to say scam decks the rectos scam decks scam. in modern scam. uh they, they've replaced these other cards with not dead after all and still run some number of fame death or undying malice yeah. next to them next one's another one that is an honorable mention for you'll see why quick study kind of obsoletes divination quick study is two and a blue for an instant that draws two cards divination is two and a blue for a sorcery that draws two cards was originally printed all the way back in what magic 10 i think yeah. divination was obviously already obsolete not least of all because ancestral recall exists and there's a hundred other cards but we just couldn't not mention it here we finally got an instant speed divination for limited purposes and i think that's pretty sweet i don't think it's playable in this format particularly but you know it's uh it's out there if they keep doing this going forward for limited instead of divination i think it'll make for more interesting gameplay yeah and there's definitely formats where divination is one of the best things you can do on turn three and or there so, used to be at least there used to be those formats before one drops and two drops started becoming good hopefully we get back to that we'll see this last one is another kind of obsolete uh return from the wilds kind of obsolete farhaven elf this is squirrely return from the wilds is two and green for a sorcery you choose to search your library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield tap then shuffle and or create a one one white human creature token and or create a food token so you can essentially make it either a 1-1 that ramps you, a 1-1 that creates a food, or you can ramp and create a food. Farhaven Elf is just one little slice of that, which is put a 1-1 into play and ramp. But it kind of obsoletes it because like, I could see where you want to blink Farhaven Elf and it's just better than trying to blink a token. Mm -hmm. Or reanimate it or any number of things. But um, yeah, Return from the Wilds, just wanted to note that they're similar, but it's definitely better. All right, let's talk about some unique things in this set. We started talking about, you know, just some interesting things that come up in a set. So first of all, new creature types or notable type combinations. There are so many mice in this mice. set. Hate so it. many mice. There's uh, Raging Battle Mouse, Pests of Honor, which is a card from the uh, Jumpstart, Cheeky House Mouse, there's Armory Mice. Before that, the only black-bordered mouse was Canyon Jerboa from uh, Zedekar Rising. Well, I guess... I think actually the one from the unset is it didn't have the acorn stamp, so it's legal, but no one's going to play those cards. No, that's that's getting stricken forever from our records because, no, we don't talk about that set. Delete. Uh, yeah. Delete. Delete. No, no. On a ser- more serious note, we have our eighth ever Spirit Knight. Cool. I love Spirit Knights. So here's my question about the Spirit Knights. Were they knights when they were alive or can they be knighted after death? Porque no los dos. I guess one. maybe maybe there's a separate knighthood after death. Yeah, I, it probably yeah. depends on the plane. You know, we're kind of getting yeah. into interplanar politics. And, uh, you know, that, that's what they say. Never talk about religion or interplanar politics. Although I'm going to do it anyway and just note that there's four new dwarf knights in Wilds of Eldraine. 
So that makes the total six over Magic's history. We're, we're really ramping up the knights. There were a lot of soldiers and a lot of warriors, and now everybody's a knight, man. There's a lot of uh, knightflation happening out there. I mean, to be fair, they just fought the Phyrexians. So if you survived the Phyrexians and you survived the Eternal Slumber, if we're talking flavor-wise, I think you deserve to get knighted. That's a worthy you know, honor. You know what? That that was very persuasive. You totally changed my opinion. We have two new elemental soldiers, and it's the first one that's outside of Boros. So Frostbridge Guard, which is a white elemental soldier that's a tapper. And we have Ice Rot Sentry, which is a blue elemental soldier that... Is also a tapper. Some frozen stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Just branching out, though. Interesting that the ones from Boros are fire and lightning, and then the ones from Wilds of Aldrin are ice. We also have Magic's first rabbit unicorn in Regal Bunicorn. Magic has some nice rabbits throughout its history. There's some rabbit wizards. Uh, Placid Rottentail was a fungus rabbit, which I know we talked about. And now this. My only problem is I want to push for a retroactive change to Jackalope Herd. It's currently a rabbit beast, which is like Vizardrix is a rabbit beast. Like, it's nothing like Vizardrix. I think wizards need to errata it to a rabbit elk. What are your thoughts? 100% agree. Rabbit elk. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Twitter campaign targeting Mark Rosewater. I'm in. Let's do it. That is the right person every single time to harass who's from wizards. So we'll do it. Sorry in advance, Mark Rosewater. So some other cool firsts and other stuff. We have two more cards that you choose a number and a range, which goes back to Shapeshifter in Antiquities. Antiquity, like first one, early one, where it's like choose number between zero and seven. And then in your beginning, if you choose numbers between zero and seven, and then your power and toughness would be basically the difference between those the number you chose in seven. Yeah, so... Something like that. That's actually a little misleading. Because originally, the way it was worded, it was a star, seven minus star. And the text was, the stars below represent any number from zero to six. You set star when Shapeshifter is cast, and you may change it during your upkeep. It's funny that they actually changed it in the future to make it between zero and seven. So that you could make a seven zero if you wanted to and just kill your Shapeshifter. That is, I mean, that is a functional change to the card. That is that is actually true. I didn't realize it. We should maybe have a functional rider episode where we talk about all the times wizards decide to change mm. how cards function. I like that. Well, we've gone way down a rabbit hole here, but I will just say that um, the cards that allow you to choose a number in a range had only been printed twice until 2021, and then it's clearly design space that they have decided to open. Yes, absolutely. Because there's two in this set. There was one in the um, Crimson Vow, and then Modern Horizons yep, 2. Modern Horizons it. 2, yep. And then there's one in the uh, Doctor Who set, which we'll talk about later. So what's interesting is that I um, I flagged this, and it's just weird. It's just absolutely weird. The first time from what we remember... With cards where you pay the cost and the result is sacrificing the permanent as part of that effect. So yeah. it's not like a spell bomb where, or anything else where it's like pay a cost and sacrifice it as a cost to get an effect. There are two cards in Wild Devil Drain where you pay a cost and the effect is you just sacrifice it. Those are Hopeful Vigil and Hopeless Nightmare. Yeah, and... Um... We'll be talking, I won't read them now because we'll be talking about them a little later, but 
I think that is unique. I don't think there are other cards where you pay the cost, the trigger goes on the stack, and then the trigger is you sacrifice it. Yeah. Because because in most places you wouldn't need that. No, because it's clearly like they want you to not abuse cards and have you sacrifice after the effect. I think there are some cards that like Lethal Vapors is one where the sacrifice is actually a part of the effect, but there's also other stuff attached to it. Right. Yeah. You're not just doing it to get the result. I'm sacrificing this. Yeah. Yeah. Because that usually wouldn't be relevant. No. Uh, just wanted to point out a couple of cards that shows us shift in design philosophy. Um, one of them is Plunge into Winter. I'll mention another one is Spider Food. But So Plunge into Winter says, tap up to one target creature, scry one, then draw a card. Which means the up to one target creature means if you are desperate, you can just pay one and a white to scry one and draw a card. Spider food, very similar. It says destroy up to one target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. Create a food token. So if you really want to pay three mana at sorcery speed to create a food token, you can do that. And I think this is neat because it just doesn't require you to meet the prerequisite. It makes the card slightly more modal. Yes. I also really like how it gives you... The baseline for it is you get to get some card selection off the top because... Mm-hmm. Most, it, back in five years ago, this would just say tap up to one target creature, draw a card, right? Like that's how it would be worded. But yeah, now it did. Least... That was a card. Yeah. <laughs> that was a card that Pressure was points. in Concept Turk here. And yep. yeah. But now it's, you know, there's at least a little more selection so you don't have a bad draw off of this card, right? It's it's nice. I hope they, I hope that is the new way they do cantrips moving forward. Cool. So. We have the third creature to put itself back on the bottom of the library once it dies. That is mm. Fell Horseman, which has an adventure on it, which is Deathly Ride. That raises it's raised dead, and then when it dies, it goes. You know, it's just eternally living. It just goes on the bottom of your library. The first two were Murderous Rider back in mm-hmm. Throne of Eldraine. So Fell Horseman is clearly a call out to that, and then uh, randomly. I'm going to pull this up because I can never say this properly. Ration Sovereign from Dragon Sarkir, which just you could choose whether it went on the top or bottom when the dragon died. So that's pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. Huh. I don't think I ever uh, had the opportunity to play that card. Just to note that there's a lot of cards in the set that care about enchantments uh, going to the graveyard. There are actually uh, six cards in the set. And before it was printed, there were five. So kind of amazing that they really took the theme and blew it up, and uh, maybe we'll see more of that going forward in sets that care about enchantments. Uh, let's yes. talk about old creature errata. There are none again, nope. so we're gonna go for the uh, jackalope herd uh, change. But um, yeah, they just haven't been making any changes for a while after doing kind of a run of sets where almost every set there was something different. I feel like they may have felt like if they had some creature rata, that would break magic again. So they just decided to like mm. scale it back a little bit. We have the some cool, unique things and colors. Uh, two things. We have the first red card that cares about the second spell you cast each turn. Normally when that's been done previously, it's been on blue and white cards with some like gold cards kind of splashing into different ways. We technically have a Universes Within card that was a skin of a Stranger Things legend. But other than that, it's basically been white and blue. But now we have our first mm-hmm. mono red card with it. And that is Raging Battle Mass. 
know, we also have our first mono black card that can kill enchantments without a drawback. So previously we had Feed the Swarm where you could destroy an enchantment and then you lose life equal to its mana value. Um, Ghastly Death Tyrant from the Baldur's Gate set uh, was a big beholder skeleton that when it entered could do the same thing. But no, I kind of was shocked to see Shatter the Oath where you could just destroy a creature in enchantment with literally no drawback. It actually has additional upside. It puts a wicked roll on one of your creatures. What? Yeah, that's wild. And I mean, the drawback is it costs five, but like... That's a that's a feature, baby. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, nobody's putting this in their mono black commander deck, probably, but it's uh, it was still a surprise to see. All right, let's talk about Wild of Eldraine tokens. Not unique, existed previously in Throne of Eldraine, but we do have one one white mouse creature tokens. I just love the mouse tokens. All the mice. Eldraine just yeah. needs an exterminator. Needs to hire get a cat. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't need an exterminator because of the mice. They need an exterminator because of the one-one rats that can't block. This is made by so many different cards in the set. I, rats, it turns out, are a major mechanic of the set. Yeah, it's, it's like fifteen me, or sixteen so. cards or something that make these one-one rats. It's just it's wild. So this is cool. I'll give you a peek behind the curtain real quick. So we'll write notes for our shows individually. We'll go back and forth, and sometimes we will actually each other, where one of us notes that this cool thing is actually just not as cool that's been done before, but then that's cool because then we remember some old cards. So it works <laughs> out in the end. And I got well actually by this uh, fairy token. So it's a uh, one, one flying can only block creatures with flying fairy token. It comes from into the fake court and makes three of those. And you also draw three. It's pretty good. It's actually a pretty strong card from what I've heard. Uh, but I said, we have a finally have a token version of cloud sprite, which is a, uh, originally came out in Mercadian Masks. It's one blue for a 1-1 one, one flying fairy creature that can only block creatures with flying. You know. Well, and I saw this and I was like, no, we, we already have a token of Cloud Sprite. We literally have a token of Cloud Sprite because there was a spell shaper in Future Sight called Cloud Seeder where you could pay blue and tap and discard a card to put a 1-1 one, one blue fairy creature token named Cloud Sprite into play that has flying and Cloud Sprite can block only creatures with flying this is what spell shapers did and so we didn't actually have a copy of the token until time spiral remastered and then they gave us the actual cloud sprite token so the, that was one of those like you know we go back and forth in the notes where i'm like no i think actually like this does exist and we're like oh yeah yeah we never we never fight about it though christian i think just curses my name uh in his dreams it's true i do every night every night <laughs> oh every night <laughs> i'm in trouble <laughs> Uh, we have also nightmares which is the token ashiok makes it's technically unique but it's only on a mythic and whatever it's new it's It's only on the one planeswalker in this set let's talk about that for a sec what do you think about having uh you know one planeswalker in this set and an indication that we might be getting you know a planeswalker in sets going forward i don't care (laughs) i'm fine (laughs) okay Good to, good to know. Do you think it's a big deal? I think that Planeswalkers are pretty played out, so I'm I'm okay with seeing fewer of them. I, I like having a couple Planeswalkers here and there. I definitely prefer the Planeswalkers that don't follow the plus one, gives you some kind of card advantage, minus makes you a blocker, and then there's an ultimate that wins the game, that kind of standard formula. The ones that are a little more specific, I think, are really interesting, but we have had a couple of sets where they have a bunch of them at rare, you know, in, and even uncommon in War of the Spark, 
And so we, we've certainly seen a lot of them. I do think they have an interesting role to play, but I didn't miss them in the Lord of the Rings set, which I played a lot of. I haven't really missed them in this set, which I've played a lot of. You don't see them at often in limited because they're, they're mythics. But when a bunch of sets rotate out of standard next year and take a bunch of planeswalkers with them, you know, we may be entering a standard where that's just not a significant thing for us. Yeah. I like that they can spend more time to make sure they're cool and unique, as you said. Um, but I don't, you know, I mean, I remember when they first came out and I went to the Lorwyn pre-release when they came out. Or no, I didn't. I went to Shards of Lara. But I do remember all the hullabaloo about how Planeswalkers worked and it was just such a big deal. And I want to say within like three years, they became it became old hat. It became an expectation, right? And when you have to do that as an expectation and have to hit some sort of quota, it just ruins a lot of the fun of them. And then it makes them broken. Like we've had a lot of multiple broken planeswalkers because it became a chore and not something that they actually spent their time and made sure they were cool. So the other thing we'll mention here are the roll tokens, which we mentioned. Uh, these are the first standard legal aura tokens. It's an interesting thing this set does. Uh, there are, I believe, four of them. Uh, there's the Royal Token, which gives a creature plus one, plus one, and ward one. There's the Young Hero Token I mentioned earlier, where the creature, if it has toughness less than three, whenever it attacks, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. The Monster Token is plus one, plus one, and Trample. Oh, there's the Sorcerer Token that's plus one, plus one, and whenever the creature attacks, Scry one. You don't see those very often. And then I missed one. There's actually the Wicked... Uh, Two, actually. The Wicked Roll token gives a creature plus one, plus one, and then when it that aura goes to the graveyard, each opponent loses a life. And then there's the Cursed one, where you put it on your opponent's creatures, generally, where the creature has power and toughness one, one. Okay, got there. I have not played this set in paper. I've done a lot of drafting online, but I have to imagine that marking these can be a little annoying, even with all of the two-sided tokens that they put in packs. It's also weird because... The way these work in particular, they can only have one of them on at a time. So there's a little, it, it it's weird in the sense that you have to remember if I do a thing to this card, I have to remember to get rid of the old thing and that is mm -hmm. marked properly. And I could, I, I have actually, when I've played drafts of this online, I have actually forgotten that that is a thing. And then I have to remember, oh yeah, I put this new thing on and it removes the old thing. And it's just this one extra layer of having to remember that. And it's minor. It doesn't come up that often. But when it does, it's just a, it's not a feel bad. It's just a lot of extra complexity that's pretty annoying. It is. Well, and the thing that makes it more complex is you can only have one roll token on a creature that you control at a time. So if your opponent puts a cursed roll on your creature to make it a 1-1, one, one, you can still put another one on and then the cursed one doesn't fall off. Although there are some creatures that where they force you to put a cursed roll on your creature and then so you have to know, oh, that's the one that I control and then knock it off by putting another roll on it. So it's, I don't know about this going forward, but I think it was a fine experiment for one set. Yeah, I think there's ways you can mine the design for something really cool. I think there's a lot of opportunities to be like, let's give this creature plus one plus one that's more than just a turn cycle but it's not good enough to cost a whole mana or a whole card so yeah. let's add it as like a, a cantrip effect essentially or trinket text well and the, the extra little ability on all of them you know when it attacks scry one or trample or something does make it just kind of a cool thing because those things when you play the games actually really do matter 
Yes. All right. So unique counters in this set. There's only one. Rotisserie Elemental has skewer counters. We've never seen skewer counters before. Otherwise, everything is plus one, plus one counters and stun counters, which is as expected. What do we think about all the special frames? They do special frames now in every single set. And we also have already Hall of Fame, the extend art ones from the collector boosters. There's, they're always great. Always a great alternative to get cards for your decks. There's three versions in this of alternate arts in this set. So let's start with showcase cards. What do you think? These are the OGs. This is the first mm -hmm. showcase cards we got were from Throne of Eldraine. These still look amazing on all of the adventures. Although I'm really disappointed they didn't do them for the common and uncommon adventure cards in this set like they did in Throne of Eldraine. I don't know why that is because they look great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could also see there's alt art uh, fatigue a little bit and they decided let's just play it safe and do it on the mythics and the and the rares and then you know when it when it's warranted we'll go back to do the commons and uncommons but i could see like it's not the first time they're doing it let's just do it on the cool cards that people are looking for not necessarily on every single i'm saying some of us have like popper cubes or peasant cubes and it'd be nice to have the fancy version of the cool Agreed. card well we also have the enchanting tales in the set this is the bonus sheet that is all enchantments from magic history what do you think about these I love these. I love the art style. They look like storybook, um, like actual like children's like illustrated books. I think they look fantastic. I would I would love a whole set with just this art personally. I think they're <laughs> some of the best art magic's done in, in a while, like bar none. It just looks so cool and unique. Yeah, there are a lot of really cool individual pieces of art. I think. These are a win. I'm also just generally on board with the bonus sheet thing. So, you know, that gives it some bonus points. What doesn't get bonus points for me are the anime versions of the Enchanting Tales, because if you're going to have a weird frame, why not have an alternate art that's like a full art with different art? I, I'm very confused by it. And they don't really go for me. I mean, I, I'm sure that I know people who love them. I don't know who those people are, but, um, you know, I'm maybe I'm just not as big an anime freak as as everyone else. Yeah, I'm not a anime freak, so they're fine. I, again, like let's just do the the, the, the other. The, they just look so good. Like the the original Enchanting Tale stuff really reminds me of like old school magic, where like the art was really unique and it hinted at something greater, and it wasn't something that was just style guided to death or like right. trying to hit all the different storybooks. Like it's just really cool. I want to explore more of the world they talk about in in these Enchanting Tales ones. I, for the regular art, it's fine. They're nice, but like, there's just not that magic that you see in the, you know, that you have in old magic art. Yeah. All right, let's talk about another secret reach card for the set. Recent sets have featured creatures that for some reason nobody noticed have reach and then just attack their flyers into. Recent examples are War Historian from March of the Machine, Skyside Invoker from Phyrexia All Will Be One. Uh, Christian, what is your vote for the secret reach card of this set? I'm going to vote for Grabby Giant. Because mm. the reach, it's an adventure card as well. So, or it's a creature with an adventure on it. So, like the reach is smaller, and it's not the most important part about that card. It's it's also has weird stats. It's a four three. I've actually forgotten that it has reach when I've drafted, and then got horribly wrecked that this four three giant is killing <laughs> my flyers. Yeah, when you put this in the show notes, it's like, oh yeah, Grabby Giant has reach. So that could have been mine. But the only creature I have chump attacked a flyer into in this format is Skewer Slinger, 
be one in a red, one three dwarf knight with reach. And when it blocks or becomes blocked by a creature, it deals one damage to that creature, which is total insult to injury. Because I just attacked a couple of two two flyers into one of these, just being like, well, it's harmless. He'll have to like, he'll take four. And then he blocked one of them. But because it deals the extra damage, it killed one of the two twos. And I was like, oh, right. I might have rage quit that. I feel like with this one, you make this mistake once. Because I also think this is mm-hmm. one of the better red commons you can pick up because it's a secret two three and it's wild. Just um, whereas Grabby Giant, I will always forget because like, how does the giant grab flyers normally? It makes no sense. I I don't. Know. It's tall. I don't know. It's very tall. I guess. Yeah. Terastodon is very tall and it doesn't have reach. Matt well, it has it. short arms. It's got a tusk. It's got a. It's got a trunk. It goes. Like can pick yeah, up. yeah, yeah, but I mean it, that's kind of sloppy. Grabby Giant just reaches up and goes, "Hey!" pulls it out of the sky, and that's it. So why don't why doesn't Two Headed Giant of Phorius have reach? Because reach wasn't a keyword in Alpha. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. No, yeah, everything's a conspiracy. All right, our best tongue twister for the set, inspired by our favorite magic tongue twister, Click Slither, Quick Sliver is Splashy Spellcaster. Those S sounds always really get us. You want to give it a shot, Christian? <sighs> okay. Splashy Spellcaster, Splashy Spellcaster. Yeah, no. No, I'm done. Yep. Nope. Nope. So. Nope. Enjoy that, everybody. A new segment we've been doing, the best flavor text. What what italicized text is the best in the set, Christian? Uh, there's a lot of great ones. They they actually had, a, they got, since it's a, theoretically a lighter set, quote unquote, they can have like more funny flavor text not all grim and we're all gonna die and ha 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 like there's actual ha ha ha's and not like oh this is this is depressing yeah um, it's I not like, all like yeah. it's, they're not all tied into the story like a lot of flavor texts are in regular set they are they're kind of these one-off and there are a lot of like you know batman tv show level jokes as well yes and that's good you need that like i think whenever magic takes itself too seriously it's awful so um i really like unruly catapult uh, I will read just the flavor text. Uh, an autonomous self-loading catapult had seemed like such a good idea. I love it. <laughs> just like, like, yeah, this, I, I, maybe cause it's just the work I've done professionally. There's a lot of people who mm-hmm. think this is a really good idea. And then they do it. And it was like, this is an awful idea. And I was like, yeah, we could have told you that, but no, you had to just experience the moment for yourself. So yeah, that makes sense. I agree. There are a ton of banger flavor texts in this set. Um, I'm going to go with candy grapple. It, relevant that the art on Candy Grapple is an apple that has teeth that is biting somebody's arm. And this is clearly the same person who is speaking the flavor text and is being a pedant, which I am. So I appreciate this. He says, uh, Don't you mean poisonous? There's no such thing as a venomous. Ah! It's a venomous apple, not a poisonous yep. apple. Yeah. It's, yep. Anyway, uh, love it. Yeah. It's like, it's not poisonous, it's toxic. Like, that's... Mm. Yeah. Oh, God. It'll still kill yeah. you. God, do I sound like that? I sound like that. That's I do, too, sometimes. It's okay. Natalie, my <laughs> fiancé, can attest that I do that sometimes, and she loves it. It's her favorite thing in the entire world, so... Oh, I'm sensing cool. sarcasm. See, I'm good at English. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one of my favorite parts of... Uh, of a fact show is a suggestion from our listener, Camilla. Uh, she asked, it might also be fun to hear something like one common, one uncommon, and one rare that you think are well-designed exemplify the set or just excite you one way or another. And we've just ran with it. So 
Uh, David, why don't you start with yours? What commons excite you, get you tingling? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go with the twofer. It's kind of a cheat, but they're a, a two-color cycle, Hopeless Vigil and Hopeless Nightmare. These are the cards we mentioned earlier that sacrifice themselves. So Hopeless Vigil is one and a white. When it enters the battlefield, you get a 2-2 white knight creature token with Vigilance. When it is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you get to scry two. And then it's two and a white to sacrifice it. Hopeless Nightmare is a single black for an enchantment. When it enters, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. Same thing when it's put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you scry two, and it's two and a black to sacrifice it. I think these are so cool. Um, you know, you get an effect you want anyway. You get to put the enchantment in play, and then you get to use Bargain, which is one of the set keywords that allows you to sacrifice an artifact enchantment or token to get an additional effect on the card. Or this has the sacrifice on it, as we mentioned. So if you really just need that card selection to scry to, you get to go ahead and sacrifice it. Uh, these are going to be some of my most drafted cards by the end of this format, easily. I, I when I saw when they got spoiled, I really that was the first thing I thought of too. It was like you you're going to bargain these away. Like they made these so that you get an effect, but then you can do something cool with those bargain cards they make. And I really like that, as you said, it's mm -hmm. they have this really nice niche. And it's good that they reinforce the theme because a lot of times, maybe not going to name names, but there might have been sets where they wouldn't have set you up like this. You would just have to sacrifice things you didn't normally want to sacrifice. So, sure. It's nice. Well, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with Candy Trail. So Candy Trail is one uh, generic for a artifact food clue. Just love it. A food clue. Uh, when mm -hmm. it enters the battlefield, scry two. And then because it's a food clue, you could pay two to sacrifice it. You gain three life and draw a card. How cool is that? I, I just yeah. like these dumb trinket artifacts. Like I, I'm, I'm a sucker for chromatic sphere and chromatic star and Mishra's bobble. And here's another one that does all the things you need it to do. And it's looks awful, but does a lot of work. Any dinky artifact that can draw me a card. I played so many prophetic prisms, same, you know, mm -hmm. same situation. Yep. How about an uncommon for you? Uh, I'm going to go with a very uncontroversial one. This is Up the Beanstalk. We're beaning it up. Uh, my brain is addled with memes. Um, so Up the Beanstalk is one to green for an enchantment. When Up the Beanstalk enters the battlefield, and whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, draw a card. So it's a cantrip. And uh, there, do you think there's a lot of dumb magic cards in older formats that have mana value five or more that you can cast for free. I do. I do. I think you just sheet them into play and you just draw cards and it seems great. Yeah. I yeah. Put this in so, decks already. Like, yeah, I, it, it, it's just dumb. It just draws you. It turns every single like quasi expensive spell that you can cast for free, or you just cast into a cantrip. How good is that? Like very good. Is the answer. Oh, Oh, yeah. Ugh. Um, Mine is a character who is mentioned in up the Beanstalk flavor text, Troy and Gutsy Explorer. That's one green blue for a one three legendary Vidalkin Scout. Troy and taps to add green and blue. You can spend that only to cast spells with mana value five or greater or spells with X in their mana costs. And you can also pay blue and tap Troy and to draw a card and discard a card. So a great combination of if you play on turn three and it survives, you can have a crazy explosive start playing five and six drops on turn four. Um, I love that maybe you need more lands, um, you know, to get some other stuff in play. You can loot away big stuff. Maybe you just want to cast your big stuff and you have too many lands, so you can loot away those lands later in the game. 
you know, three mana is a lot to pay for a looter. That's a nice backup feature to have. It's a great combination of utility, potentially explosive, but not actually really that powerful in the end. Perfect for an Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of wish they would do more of these because it's definitely the signpost uncommon. But at the same time, like, this is just two great effects that this would have been a rare like 10 years ago. And now it's easy, just justifiably uncommon. And it should be. They should be more uncommons like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So for rare slash mythics, what's your pick? So there are a lot of options here. There's some things that let you mill and play your opponent's cards and dumb dragons. Uh, But I'm going with Yenna Redtooth Regent. This is two green white for a 4-4 legendary elf noble. You pay two and tap Yenna. You choose target enchantment you control that doesn't have the same name as another permanent you control. You then create a token that's a copy of it, except the copy isn't legendary. If the token's an aura, you get to untap Yenna and scry two. You can only do this as a sorcery, which they put on a lot of cards. This is a super cool way to play with the enchantment theme of the set, the set but it doesn't feel broken in any way. Because you can only make one copy of an enchantment you have. It's very clearly a commander design that can also work not as a commander design. What are the odds in a non-commander deck you're going to have an enchantment that doesn't have the same name as permanent control? Kind of low if you're going down that theme, but you can still you can still play around it and still do cool things. In commander, yeah, you, the, the odds are... Not zero, but unless you're copying enchantments like some crazy people on this podcast, like you generally <laughs> don't have copies and enchantments with the same name, right? So, so, so you you're saying you haven't done the the limited combo? No, I haven't done the limited combo. What's the limited combo? So you play three blind mice, which makes a one one white mouse creature token. You have <gasps> Yenna in saga. Play. It's a saga. So you. You tap Yenna, you make a copy of Three Blind Mice. So now you have a non-legendary copy. Chapters 2 and 3 of Three Blind Mice create a token that's a copy of target token you control. So you then copy the Saga token, you make another mouse, and then next turn that token will make a copy of one of your other Three Blind Mice tokens. And so you just exponentially expand out your... Oh my god, the look on your face. <laughs> you just down. expand out and you make an impossible number of 1-1s and an impossible number of Three Blind Mice tokens. I love it. Uh, yes. Now yeah. I have an, uh, I have a mission now for standard. It's not going to be good, but I'm going to do it. So I have also uh, done the combo of Yenna to copy a cooped up. So an opponent's creature can't attack or block. And then you sacrifice the first one to exile it. So then you can make a copy of the, the new cooped up and you just keep doing that down the line. That's seven mana for... Exile and make another cooped up. That's actually really good. Like two cooped ups, well, I should say. Yeah, and the nice thing is um, cooped up is an aura, so if you make a copy of it, you scry two, and then you untap Yenna. So you, you can potentially do it if you have that seven mana. Yeah, twice in a turn. That's that's fun. Uh, uh, this was this might have been mine if I had just thought about this a little harder. Um, <laughs> All right, no, anyway, and cool. enough of going deep on this. What is yours? Uh, it's... I'm not going to go as deep as you on Yenna. It's Charming Scoundrel. Uh, Charming mm-hmm. Scoundrel is one in a red for a 1-1 one, one human rogue. Uh, it has haste, and when it enters the battlefield, you can choose one. You can discard a card, then draw a card. So, rummage. You can create a treasure token, or you can create a wicked roll token attached to target creature you control. So you could put it on the Scoundrel to make it a 2-2, or you could put it on another creature to give them that wicked roll. I- it's the second now of 
uh, cycle. The first one was Charming Prince, where essentially the same thing in white, except it's a 2-2 and it had three different modes you could choose from, like a charm. It's very clever. I hope they finish the cycle. These are just really evergreen good creatures. Like, uh, I just want to play as many of these. They do what they say on the 10 and they do a lot of work. Yeah, I don't actually know if this is going to be part of a cycle because the Prince and Scoundrel are kind of opposites, like the um, Hopeful Vigil and Hopeless Nightmare. Um, but they have been doing these enter the battlefield uh, choose in other sets as well. We had Ether Channeler, which was the uh, Mana War type creature in Dominaire United. Um, way back in Strixhaven, we had Callous Blood Mage, which could make a pest or draw you a card or lose a life or then something else. Um, so we we have a red one now. I don't know actually if we have a green one, unless you want to count. Um, there's Sentinel of Lost Lore in this set. I was thinking of Cleanup Crew from uh, Streets of New Capenna, but that was a six six. It's a yes. little bit different. But yeah, this this does you know some traditionally very red things, and so I expect they will keep doing this. I have been working for a long time on a modal cube in which every card has to have multiple modes. Uh, and this, you can bet, is going right in as a red card. Yes. I just wish they had... I just want charming creatures now in every cycle. Like, let's just be really on the nose. But also, like, you know, what if there's a charming librarian? That's a thing. Morgan Wentworth oh. exists. There are charming librarians. <laughs> um, uh, well, they already made a, the librarian card of Morgan. So as we discussed when she was on the show. That's true. Well, so that's Wilds of Eldraine. Um, I have enjoyed drafting the set. Uh, it has been a pretty big letdown since uh, Lord of the Rings, in which I was winning like 70% of my games. I'm I'm now down at a shamefully much lower percentage. But um, I just think it's so flavorful and cool. If this was the first Eldraine set, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Hmm. Okay. But it isn't. So my expectations were a lot lower, and I'd still hit it. But, you know, I, they're going to go back to it at some point. Like, this is now the new Ravnica, right? You can do 15 bajillion things in Eldraine now, and they're just going to mine this thing like it's a diamond mine. So, I'm sure there's there are people sitting there with a list of the fairy tales and things they haven't hit or things they want to come back to. You know, the continuing Ginger Brute and uh, Sir Ginger saga, the, the gingerbread man and now Knight, who, uh, you know, on a bunch of the key art for the set. Since we've done Wilds of Eldraine, I think it's about time to wrap it up. But before we go... Doctor Who? Who? So I I just wanted to talk for a second about these Doctor Who commander decks uh, slash collector boosters slash I don't know if there are other ways to get these cards. This is the first time with the the Doctor Who stuff that I can remember that I didn't follow a spoiler season at all. Like I just was not interested at all. Um, even though I love cards and mechanics and all of these things, obviously. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. But I just didn't care. And if I don't care, that can't be something that's good for the game overall, right? No. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this a little bit before we started the show, which we didn't record all of. But when you read Morrow's articles, the design articles, this was the first one I can remember, and I could be wrong, but this is the first one I could remember that the Doctor Who design thing read like a business pitch deck that I've ran into when I've been <laughs> at work, right? Like it's highlighted the fact that there's these 
he didn't say it explicitly, but there are these concentric circles of like magic players who like Doctor Who and Doctor Who can magic cards can pull in more players to play magic and it's just synergy. And it's like they want to bring in subject matter experts that know the branding and can really resonate on the brand and stuff like that. And it's just that might be a little unkind to Morrow's article, but if it read like that and it's just not. It was very dispiriting. And I mean, I was a Doctor Who. I was a Doctor Who fan back in the day, and I even I'm buying these more out of obligation because there's some cool cards in it that I need for decks, and not necessarily for the decks themselves, and for the experience of saying, "Oh yeah, I'm playing with Donna Noble in the Tenth Doctor." Right? Yeah. I do know someone who's excited for the cards themselves, though. But he's the only person I know of who is actually excited for it. Sure. I mean, part of this is like I. I'm not a Doctor Who person. I just haven't seen episodes since they were on like Channel 23 where my TV had a UHF, you know, in, in suburban Minneapolis. So that could be part of it. But it's just, to me, this is so many cards and they come in such a short time. Like Wilds of Eldraine just got here. We're going to Ixalan soon. We've already seen some previews for that. It's just so much. And I think people from at least my anecdotal evidence... Um, you know, folks that I've talked to are really just exhausted by the release of cards. Yeah, because we had Lord of the Rings in what, July? Eldraine was beginning of September, and we're just finally tackling it now. And Exelon is going to be in a few weeks. And then you have Doctor Who, have the hol- they have new Lord of the Rings cards that they spoiled that are coming out during the holidays, but they shoehorn those in. It, it's just too much. I can't remember. Like, there's only one card I remember from the Lord of the Rings holiday stuff that they spoiled. I I can't tell you any of the others. Like, there's only one. And the only one I remember is because it's a dumb green card that I know it's going to get played in internal formats. But that's it. It's just <laughs> it's just too much. I could, and, and I was been sharing Doctor Who stuff with you, spoilers, but it's more about like, oh, they made another clone. Or like... Yeah. Hey, this I need to put this in a deck of mine, and it wasn't necessarily like, oh, this is cool. It was just, oh, I feel like I, if I want to play the decks I play, I have to have these cards, and it's kind of like a little bit like an arms race, but not totally. When you sent me Doctor Who cards, it was the only time I saw them. Basically, I still have no idea what all these cards do, and I don't think I will because it's not draftable. So it doesn't, you know, make that much of a difference to me, but also like, I just, I have no interest in doing like a show about the, their commander decks anyway. It's just, there are so many cards that it's almost like a set. I don't know. It's just, it's too much for me. So hopefully uh, we're not destroying the game by releasing too many sets too often, but this has been a complaint for years and it just continues to accelerate. Yeah. It's not, it's also not to say that, the people who designed it didn't do a good job. Um, Carmen Complarence, by the way, formerly Carmen mm-hmm. Handy, congratulations on your marriage, by the way, Carmen, who we've had on the show and is fantastic, is one of the designers for the set. And like, I know she puts together excellent work. She, she's got hired at Wizards for a reason. Um, but like, my interest in it is, is not a shot across the bow for the people who are really passionate about it. I just don't. It's just an appetizer course or a between course, like it's a sorbet that I don't want to eat between courses. Just just stop with the courses. I need a break before I can get to dessert. Well, I mean, I'll be back on board for Ixalan. 
I mean, I was excited to see those previews. And so uh, we're going in inside of Ixalan at some point. Uh, you know, I don't want to end on a purely negative note. I just, uh, I've got something I can say that's a more positive note. So I've mentioned before the Magic Card Dictionary, which uh, there's a link to in our Twitter bio um, that is a list of all kinds of different terms um, that are used to describe classes of cards, including cards with abilities that aren't keyworded. So like, what is burn? Like, what is a disenchant? What does wrath mean? All of these things. And there was recently a Reddit thread that was like, hey, what do you guys call different classes of cards? And so I shared this and um, got a bunch of great responses as far as what we could add. And so I have a bunch of things I'm going to add to that. You should go take a look at it and uh, tweet at us and let us know what we should add to it. Make it easier for everyone. I, I love our little dictionary. Like I need to actually push it out onto more people I know. And when I, you know, randomly go to local game stores now, I just be like, whoa, get smart. Should uh, carry printed copies and give them to new players. It's more of that, that has gone over well with other printed copies of things in small formats with people mm-hmm. over the years. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure they will not throw that away in my face, but we'll see. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, thank you all for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at our handle at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback. And please tell us what cards you want to remember. And again, special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. You would be greatly appreciated. I don't know if you, I don't think you can find Chris on X slash Twitter anymore, but uh, you used to be able to find him at, at CY Company. That's company with a K. I'll figure out where he is on Blue Sky. And we can ask him that and append that to our show notes going forward. And until next time, may you find that a place you didn't like as much is now in a better place. And I hope you can find Mm. that in multiple areas of your life. So.